Let me mention a couple of housekeeping items. While you're turning there, uh, I'm going to mention a couple of housekeeping items. One is, uh, as most of you know, I have been preaching through the book of Revelation for several months. I'm taking a break this summer, got through chapter 11, uh, but Lord willing, uh, the next time I preach, I'll be preaching from Revelation chapter 12. A couple of reasons that we've taken the break. One is that uh, I've had an unusually busy schedule this summer with uh, needing to prepare for other speaking responsibilities, and the next two weeks are going to be like that as well. So I uh, preached some some other things that I thought were important, but not from the book of Revelation. Uh, Another reason is because I have been absent uh, already two Sundays this summer, and I'll be absent the next two Sundays as well. So the next two Sundays, uh, we may be here for Sunday school. Don't exactly know when we're going to leave for the Ecuador trip. Uh, But uh, anyway, I have someone scheduled to preach next Sunday and the following Sunday as well. So I didn't want to get into Revelation 12 and then have interruption. But anyway, I plan to get back to Revelation, uh, Lord willing, once we're back from Ecuador. Another thing that uh, you'll notice that this sermon is a little different than most sermons that I preach. Uh, Most sermons that I preach are from a verse or more recently from an entire chapter of the Bible, and I explain what that verse or what that chapter means. I'm going to do that this morning. Uh, I'm going to explain primarily one phrase that uh, we find in my text, which is Isaiah chapter 51, verses 7 and 8. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. My intention to primarily explain the work of the moth The moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. In this text, uh, there are two permanent things that are mentioned. There are those who know righteousness and in whose heart the law of the Lord is. So they are permanent and permanently blessed. In contrast to these people, those who have the law of God, are those who are temporary and who are going to be eaten up like a garment is eaten up by a moth or like the worm eats up wool. The second thing that is mentioned here that is permanent is the righteousness of God. His righteousness will be forever and His salvation to all generations. And of course, His salvation is something that we participate in. In contrast to that are those who would detract from the Lord. And the Lord says, do not be afraid of them. Don't fear them because they are going to be, the moth will eat them up like a garment. I dare say that we are in a time in the United States of America where it is becoming increasingly probable that we will face varying levels of persecution, that uh, some of the elements of God's righteousness and God's truth for which we stand 
uh, will be increasingly perceived as hateful. So we believe that the Bible teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. And uh, we, we believe that the Bible teaches that uh, homosexuality is a sin. We believe that the Bible teaches that abortion is murder. And uh, these are positions that are increasingly seen and perceived by the world as being hateful positions. And uh, so the persecution that we receive now may be no more than just uh, hateful, unfounded accusations. But given the opportunity, it will get worse. And uh, this is a word of encouragement from the Lord. Don't be afraid of those who stand up against you, against those who don't be afraid of those who reproach you or who revile you. Remember that the moth will eat them up like a garment. Now, of course, this is not a literal moth that we're talking about. You understand the difference between literal and figurative. So literal would be the actual little winged creatures that fly around your porch light at night. So this is not saying that there's going to be a massive infestation of moths like uh, the locusts that came into Egypt or the frogs that came into Egypt or the marmorated stink bugs that have been in Kentucky for the last couple of years or the ladybugs that uh, infest our houses in the fall. No, it's not a literal infestation of moths. Instead, the word moth here is used figuratively. And I am going to maintain and explain to you that uh, the word that moths uh, symbolize the quiet, corrupting, time-wasting things that eat up our lives like moths. I'm going to... uh, Something else that's unique about this sermon is... uh, Probably most of you know I usually don't preach from notes, but I I do have extensive notes this morning because uh, there are a few things in here that I didn't think that I could remember. And uh, because there are a few, this is a rather detailed sermon, I've also asked Elizabeth if she would put various slides up uh, up on the screen to help you follow along. So this is the first time that I've ever done anything like this. I don't intend for it to become a practice, but I thought that it would help you today. And I'm going to start off with quoting a, a, uh, a poem, uh, and I bet that you would never hear, you thought that I would never hear these, you would never hear these words spoken by me from this pulpit. Here is a bit of wisdom from Pink Floyd. <clears throat> so in quoting Pink Floyd, I obviously do not approve of everything that Pink Floyd sang, Uh, Just as when I later quote Ralph Waldo Emerson, I don't approve of his philosophies and ideas. And I could say the same thing about other things that I'm quoting this morning. But uh, this, I think, is very illustrative and to me very powerfully put, very powerfully coupled with the music that is almost 50 years old now. Believe it or not, you old dope smokers from the 1970s. So yes, you are getting old. Uh, But here is one of their songs called Time, and I think that it illustrates uh, one of the moths that have a tendency to eat away at lives. Ticking away the moments that make up a dull day, fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, 
waiting for someone or something to show you the way. Tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain, you are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And then one day you find ten years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time. Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. The time is gone. The song is over. Thought I'd something more to say. When I consider the work of the moth, then uh, this is one of, the, uh, one of the texts that comes to my mind. Someone who thinks, I have got plenty of time. I can just waste time today. You're young and life is long. And then one day you find ten years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You've missed the starting gun. And you start to try and catch up, but it's, it's too late. It's too late for that. According to Strong's Concordance, the word moth appears nine times in the King James Version of the Bible. That's the concordance that I use. And the word moth-eaten appears one. Every time that the word appears, it is used symbolically. Now, I think that moths are beautiful. I took some time in preparing for this sermon to look up in a book of mine that I have about moths. Uh, The patterns that moths have are very, very beautiful. I think that they are beautiful, but their larvae are often destructive. They eat food crops, they eat trees and shrubs, the flowers and grains in your pantry. They eat up beehives, they eat clothes and blankets. It seems to me that uh, the houses of old people that I visited when I was a young man always smelled like mothballs. And uh, I think that's because that they would put things into storage in closets or they would put things into storage in, uh, in chests. And if they never put mothballs in there to keep the moths from coming in, then the moths would ruin the things that were stored away. I occasionally see a garment that has been somewhat damaged by moths. But my most extensive experience with moths is when hive moths get into beehives. They get into beehives when a hive becomes too weak to keep them out, and, uh, and it's not long that uh, the moths will take over the beehive. Some people think that moths kill bees, but I don't think that's the case. Moths take over when the hive is too weak to keep the moths out. And then they lay their eggs, and the eggs hatch out, and they've got these little worms that crawl throughout, and they eat up the beehive, and if you're not paying attention In a few weeks, you come back and you open up that beehive and it is just full of webs and worms and moths flying out. Moths can do extreme damage. And as I said earlier, I believe in Scripture, the moth symbolizes the quiet, corrupting, time-wasting things that eat up our lives like moths. Sometimes God's judgments are shocking and cataclysmic. Let me mention a few. God destroyed the old world with a flood. Forty days and forty nights it rained. 
God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a time in the history of Israel when someone named Korah and Dathan and Abiram secured several people to say to Moses and Aaron, why are you acting like you're the only people that God speaks to? All of the Lord's people are, belong to the, to the Lord. We also can offer incense. And the Lord said, well, let's just put that to a test. Uh, all of you who are with Korah and Dathan and Abiram, you, you bring some incense, all 250 of you, you bring some incense burners tomorrow, and I'll have Aaron show up, and we'll see which one I accept. And so they showed up the next day, and God sends out fire from heaven and burns up these revolters that were with Korah and Dathan. And then the Lord said, tell everybody to get away from their tents. And so the people of Israel got away from their tents, and the earth opened up and swallowed the tents of Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and those who were in rebellion with them. Now, that is a cataclysmic. Man, God shows up. He sends floods. He sends fire. The open, he opens the mouth of the earth and swallow up people. One time, Elisha was uh, walking, and there were, there were 40, 40 young boys who came out and started making fun of him. Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And there were two bears that came out of the woods and mauled all of those boys. Man, that's, that is remarkable. What a bloody day that was. When Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, they fell dead like that. When the people praised King Herod and he refused to give the glory to God, God struck him down and he was eaten with worms. Now that's what I'm talking about. You know, that's... That's great theater. That's great drama. And the Bible is full of stuff like that. As we have been seeing in our study of Jerusalem, the uh, study of Revelation rather, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 is described in the Bible as the end of a world. The sun becomes like, uh, like sackcloth. The full moon becomes like blood. The stars of the sky fall to the earth and so on. Yes, dramatic visitations from God in His judgment. But more often than that, God's judgments are quiet and mundane. We read in my Scripture reading a few minutes ago from Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 9 where it says, Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. I wear things that I have worn for a long time. I told Carol this morning as I put on this suit so that I said, I, I, you helped me buy this suit. She's criticizing my suits. She says that my suits look bad. So you all are going to have to tell her how nice I look in these suits. And they're really hard on my ties. They're just coming down hard on my ties. And uh, I, don't see, I don't see any reason to get a new suit uh, if this one's still holding together. And uh, she, I told her, you helped me buy this suit at the, the Charleston department store back in, I think it was about 1994. So the suit's only 28 years old, and uh, so it's still holding together. It does fine. And I told her, you should, be, you should be glad you're married to a man who can wear the same suit that he wore when he's in his early 30s. So, uh, so anyway, I wear things until they wear out. And... Uh, sometimes they'll get holes in them and then it just gets to the point where I can't wear that anymore. But it happens gradually. It happens gradually. That's the way God's judgments usually are. 
All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Just these quiet little life-eating moths get into your life. And God judges you. In Hosea chapter 5 and verse 12, the Lord says, But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. You've had experience with dry rot, surely. You know, we have a church van and it doesn't get used very much. And I've heard Jim Bob say the, the biggest danger to our, our church van is that the wheels on it dry rot. We use it so little that you go out there and it's the tires, the tires on the van have dry rotted. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. It happens slowly and quietly like a moth like dry rot to the house of Judah. Most often, God's judgments are mundane and quiet. So let's think for a few minutes, first of all, about the way of the moth. How is it that the moth works? And then we'll take a few time to look at some of the moths in our own lives. After that, we will take just a few minutes to look at the moth as God's instrument of judgment And finally, we will conclude with hope for moth-eaten lives. First of all, let's think for a bit about the way of the moth. Notice that he works silently. If you have ever had moths in your storage chest or in your closet, you probably haven't heard them munching away in there on your fine woolens. His presence is unannounced and it's unnoticed until it's too late. I hope that one of the effects of this sermon is that you will begin examining your heart and examining your life for moths that are eating away. But you will find that they are usually working silently and they work gradually. The moth works gradually. He does not do his work in a day. Usually takes time. Often a moth works in a context of neglect. I told you it's when I'm not paying attention to my beehives that the moth moves in and ruins the hive. It's when you've got things stored away and you're not paying attention to them that the moth comes in in a context of neglect. The moth, when he works, he works ruinously. So occasionally I'll do some shopping at a thrift thrift store and, and I find maybe a sweater that's cashmere and I think, wow, this is really nice. And then I'll hold it up to the light and I'll see that the moth has been at work on it. That's why they took it to the thrift store. The moth has ruined that. Of course, if it is more severe than that, then it doesn't even end up in the thrift store. It just has to get thrown away because the, the moth can ruin lives just like he ruins garments. But now let's take a few minutes and think about some of the moths that may be fluttering around in our own hearts and in our own lives. I'll mention several. First of all, wasting time is a severe moth. Let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 4 and verse 13 through 17, and we can see a bit about how this moth works in our lives. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13.
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. One element of the way that we waste time is that we're going to say, we're going to, we're going to take care of this tomorrow. We, pro, we procrastinate. We're going to do it tomorrow. You do not know what a day will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You don't know that you're going to have time to do it later. And that moth can eat up the precious hours of your life. One of the most famous passages in literature that talks about uh, this this moth of procrastination is taken from uh, Shakespeare's play Macbeth. And when Macbeth sees that he is about to die, then he he, these famous words he speaks, I meant to take care of this later, but he says tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. Just always saying tomorrow I'm going to take care of it. And that's the way it's going to continue to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. As he reflects upon his life and what he meant to do, he said, I never got around to doing what was really important, what I really ought to have done. I was always saying tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow And I know that people all around me are saying the same thing, and it will go on to the last syllable of recorded times. Recorded time, and all of our lives end up being meaningless, like like someone who's acting out a part on the stage, who just frets and struts and acts like it's so important, And, and then the play is over and he's gone and never heard from anymore. Time, wasting time is a moth that eats up our lives. A second moth that eats up our lives is accumulating temporary wealth. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, the Lord warns us against this. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Lord says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, you note that, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Everything that uh, you can touch and see is subject to the depredations that are brought about by, by moths and rust and economic crises and inflation and recessions and and, and economic downturns, it's all subject to go away. The Lord says, don't waste your life. Don't, don't waste your life accumulating things that the moth is going to eat. But instead of that, he says in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you spend your life 
wasting your life, accumulating treasures, then your heart is going to be engaged with those things and your life will be a waste. In James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, we were just in chapter 4 a moment ago, but now let me read to you what it says in the verses following the ones that we read. In James chapter 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Don't be a fool. Don't lay up treasure that the moths and corruption and corrosion can deteriorate. Accumulating temporary wealth is a moth-eaten practice. And then back again in Matthew chapter 6, uh, we read about another moth that can eat up our lives, and that's the moth of anxiety. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You've got more important things to think about than just always thinking about your food and what you're going to wear. Take a lesson from the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we wear, or what shall we drink? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't let the moth of anxiety come into your life and eat away the meaningful existence that you might have this day. God's going to take care of you. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and every, all these things will be added to you. So wasting time is a moth that devours our lives. Accumulating temporary wealth, anxiety are moths that in, infest our lives. The next thing that I'll mention is excessive recreation. There's never been a country in the world that has access to the amount of recreation that we have. It's possible from the time that you wake up until the time that you go to sleep to be engaged with something on your phone or on your computer or on your TV set or on the listening device that you have just from morning until night to be listening to something. But excessive recreation will eat up your life. I want to quote to you or read to you a uh, a small poem. This used to be in hymn books long ago. I'm not exactly sure that it belongs in hymn books, but it was, it was in many hymn books. Uh, 
This is by the same author who wrote, This is my Father's world. And he writes, Be strong. We are not here to play, to dream, to drift. We have hard work to do and loads to lift. Shun not the struggle. Face it. Tis God's gift. Be strong. Say not the days are evil. Who's to blame and fold up the hands and acquiesce? Oh, shame. Stand up. Speak out and bravely in God's name. Be strong. It matters not how deep entrenched the wrong. How hard the battle goes. The day how long. Faint not. Fight on. Tomorrow comes the song. But we just from daylight until dark are entertaining ourselves to death. And your life is just slowly ebbing away as these moths of endless entertainment. I have heard that there is a little place that you can click on your cell phone that will tell how many hours you have spent on that phone in the last week. I don't know how to do it, but these young people can tell you how. I'd say that some of you would be surprised how much time you're spending on that phone. I occasionally get interviewed by young people who are doing some kind of a research project, and they'll ask me the question, what do you think is the greatest danger that is facing Christianity today? And it may surprise you that I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's the, the crazy liberals from the left. I don't think that it's any kind of uh, legislation that may come down. I don't think that it's uh, the persecution that I think may come. I think the biggest danger facing Christians today is the danger of endless entertainment. It is a moth that will eat up your life. I beg you. Put your phones down. Turn your computer off. Experience real face-to-face life with people. Read the Bible. Pray. Take care of your soul before it's too late. The next moth that I'm going to mention is the moth of mediocrity. And that's just the the persistent contentment that we have for just being an okay guy. Just being an okay girl. Just all right, just we're barely getting by and not striving for excellence and not striving to live a glorious life. Now this doesn't mean that you have to strive for fame. But it does mean that you have to discipline yourself to pursue what is most excellent. In this poem by Ralph Waldo Emerson, he imagines that the days come single file and in their hands, the days are bringing various offerings. For some, it's just a a bundle of sticks, which is what is meant by faggots, and for others, it's crowns. But here come the days, and you'll see that in this poem, he watches, and in the morning of his life, he has such high aspirations of how he's going to use his life wisely. But he ends up just taking a few herbs and apples. And one of the days looks at him with scorn. Daughters of time, the hypocritic days, muffled and dumb like barefoot dervishes and marching single. 
in an endless file, bring diadems, that's crowns, and faggots, that's bundles of sticks in their hands. To each they offer gifts after his will. Here are some of those gifts. Bread, kingdoms, stars, or sky that holds them all. Now here's his, he's describing his situation. I, in my pleached garden, a, a pleached, pleached trees are trees that have been woven together. I, in my pleached garden, watch the pomp, forgot my morning wishes. So he admits that he had higher aspirations of how he was going to use the days. But he forgets them. Hastily took a few herbs and apples, and the day turned and departed silent. I, too late, under her solemn fillet, saw the scorn. A fillet is just like a headband. And so as this day is leaving, she turns around and looks at him with a look that says, Really? That's all you're taking from this day? Just a few herbs and apples? Really? That's the way you're using your life? Some of you have seen uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan. I, I can't remember if it was first or last in the movie that it shows Private Ryan as an old man standing in a cemetery beside the graves of some of these men who bravely gave their lives to rescue him and bring him home. And he says with tears in his eyes and a quiver in his voice to those around him, tell me that I'm a good man. Tell me that my life has mattered. Because he realizes there was a tremendous price that was paid so that he might live life. And I wish that we could look at the graveyards of the brave men who have given their lives on battlefields to preserve our freedom. Our brave ancestors who gave up homes in Europe and wherever they might have lived to come to America because they wanted a better life. I wish that we could look at the lives of our grandparents sweating like slaves in the sun so that your mother and my mother could go to school and have a better life. And then I wish that we could see all of those people looking at us as we're just playing on our cell phones and look at us and say, Really? Really? That's what I sweat and bled and died for so that you could waste your life like this? I think of some of the great grandfathers and grandmothers of the faith and what they went through to make sure that we have a Bible to read and that we have, that we have a, a system of doctrine that is handed down to us intact and with their bloody backs and looking down from their places of being burned on the cross. I wish that we could see them look at us and say, Really? Is this what you're going to do with it? I died. I bled. I sacrificed so that you could have a life. And this is what you're doing with it. You can just almost hear the the moths munching away as they make wreckage of our lives. The last thing that I'll mention under this section is the excessive pursuit for youthfulness and physical beauty. Now, you know that I work out. 
so I'm not against working out. And, uh, you know, I try to look good. So I cut my hair, do other things that uh, I think is going to make me look good. I'm not against working out. I'm not against looking good. But my goodness, it can sure eat up your life. I don't know. There, there are some people, sometimes I've been in danger of this myself, that instead of uh, just working out to maintain health, I had other, other motivations for working out. And, and uh, it can be just shocking how much time some people spend in time in front of the mirror fixing hair. It's not just women. Fixing hair, taking care of makeup, going to all kinds of all kinds of other things. One of the mentions of the moth is in Psalm thirty nine eleven. This is how it reads in the King James Version of the Bible. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. First Timothy chapter four and verse eight says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. That's not a that's not a That's not a criticism. That's an observation. It's saying it profits some. There are some things that are not of any profit. Bodily exercise, it does. It profits a little. But don't neglect godliness for the sake of of bodily exercise. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Don't neglect your soul. For the sake of constantly preparing and thinking about food. Don't neglect your soul. For the sake of constantly working out and thinking about how you can make yourself look youthful and young and better. In in one of his sonnets, William Shakespeare puts this very pointedly. Let me kind of give you an overview. He is speaking to his soul here. And he's asking his soul, why are you so skinny and hungry? You're spending all your time fixing up your body. Which he describes here as sinful earth. So he talks to his soul. He says, poor soul, the center of my sinful earth. Something missing here, maybe my sinful earth. These rebel powers that the array. So he He picks up on the Bible description of the body as being the body of flesh that has desires that are contrary to the spirit. And that's why he calls it these rebel powers. So he's saying, in the middle of these rebel powers, in the middle of this body, there you exist, my soul. Why dost thou pine within and suffer dearth? When something pines, it it is uh, wasting away. He's getting skinnier. So he's saying, soul, why are you getting so skinny? Why are you suffering a famine, which is what a dearth is, painting thy outward walls so costly gay? So now he's going to say, you're like a, you're like a house, and on the inside there's, there's no food, but the outside, boy, it sure does look good. He asks, why so large cost, having so short a lease, dost thou upon thy fading mansion spend? Your body is your fading mansion. And so Shakespeare says to his soul, why are you putting so much investment in your fading mansion, your body? Because you know that you just have a short lease. You're only going to stay here for a little while. Why are you putting so much attention into something that is going to pass away? 
Shall worms, inheritors of this excess, eat up thy charge? Is this thy body's end? Yes, that is what's going to happen to your body. That is what's going to happen to my body. Worms are going to eat it. Well, think about that and then take this lesson. Then, soul, live thou upon thy servant's loss. Your body is your servant. Some of that effort, some of that expense, investment that you're putting into your body, put that into your soul instead. Yeah, your body is going to lose a little bit, but you will gain, you'll gain from that loss. So live thou upon thy servant's loss and let that pine. Let your body pine to aggravate thy store. The word aggravate here means increase. So let your body suffer a little bit of deprivation so that you, the soul, might increase in health. What you'll be doing is you're selling things that are useless to gain something that is really powerfully good. By terms divine and selling hours of dross, within be fed, without be rich no more. And if you take this lesson to heart, then remembering death will strengthen your life. That's what he means in the last two lines. So shalt thou feed on death that feeds on men, and death once dead, there's no more dying then. Let's move on and see thirdly. So those are some moths that eat up our lives. Now let's see thirdly, the moth as God's instrument of judgment. First of all, against those who reproach and revile. That's in my text. That's also in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 9. I've already read both of those to you, so I'll not read them again. Also, against sinful mortals, the moth is marshaled as an instrument of God's judgment. In Job chapter 4, verses 17 through 20, this is what we read. Can mortal man be right, be in the can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. Or crushed like the moth. And then in Job chapter 13 and verse 28, we have something similar. Man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. God God cursed this world with the curse of death, and that death commences the moment that we begin to live. It is God's instrument of judgment against sinful mortals. And the moths of God's judgment are at work in our culture I hear about these mass shootings, these mass shootings, and I ask myself, what is going on in our culture that is making this kind of thing so prevalent? I look at these these rabid protests with people screaming to have the privilege to kill their babies, and I ask, what has gone wrong? I see an entire month out of the calendar in the United States of America devoted to celebrating what God says is an abomination. And I ask, what's going on here? What's the problem? And this certainly is not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the moths of God's judgment that are at work and have been at work in our culture. One is distraction. Just concerned with with minutia, 
just concerned with trivia. It's like our whole lives, our preparation for a big game of trivial pursuit instead of standing before the judge of heaven and earth. Distraction. Laziness. Laziness is rampant in our country. Laziness is rampant in Christianity. People just cannot make themselves do what we know that we need to do. I heard this week that for every person who is unemployed in the United States, there are two jobs waiting for them to take. Two jobs. I know what's going on. There are people who say, well, I don't want to work there. I don't want to have that kind of work. I'd like to do this. And Laziness. Gossip. I've almost given up trying to watch the evening news. It's gossip. Bitterness. The hatred that is allowed to fester and is even encouraged. Well, you have been mistreated in the past and therefore you have a right to be angry and bitter. Well, people picked on you when you were in grade school. Therefore, it's okay for you to take a, a, an AR-15 and kill a bunch of people and then kill yourself. Well, we understand he's had such a, he's had such a rough life. We have allowed bitterness to run rampant. And then this probably more significantly than all the things that I've mentioned, as I think about culture in the United States, the degradation of human worth. For more than 100 years, our schools have been teaching a theory that says humans are just animals. And then they try to get people to behave themselves. They get, try, to, try, try to get people to respect weaker animals, but that's not the way strong animals act. If we're just animals and that's it, and I've got a, a more effective gun than you, guess who's going to be the boss? I'm going to be the boss. If I've got more power than you and you and I are just animals striving for uh, survival of the fittest, you're going to end up with people acting like animals. Humans are act, act like animals. No wonder the marriage is in trouble and the idea is put forth. If, if you want to do it, what you want to do is what is most important. Not what is best for your family. Not what is best for the culture. Certainly not what God expects. We can't even mention that in our public schools. You can't bring up God at all. But you can bring up all this other, all this other stuff, how that humans are just animals. It is looking at humans as animals that makes pornography possible. Not just for the people who are producing pornography, but for the people who are watching pornography. And pornography is a moth that is eating up the minds of our young people. Giving them perverted ideas of what sex is like, even in marriage. Giving them perverted ideas of what, what life looks like outside of marriage. And their unnatural affections, such as sexual perversions, and unnatural affections that even mothers are not preserving the lives of the own babies, their own babies that are in their bodies. We have cultivated a culture of selfishness. Just do what you want to do. 
Use other people if you must. Put up with other people if you must. But what you want to do is most important. These are moths. And this is all under a heading that I have identified as the moth as God's instrument of judgment. These are things that are already judging our culture. Now let me conclude, fourthly, with hope for moth-eaten lives. My experience with moths is that early detection is the key. So I hope that one of the results of this sermon is that you will search your life, you'll search your heart, that you fathers will examine the lives of your children. You husbands will help your wives to think about how they are spending their time. That you dads will take the lead. You fathers and husbands will take the lead in showing that life is a a noble thing and we're not meant to let the the moths of wasting and procrastination uh, come in and take our life. Early detection is the key. Moths do much of their damage in dark secret places. Bring it into the light. If there's something going on in your life that you're ashamed for people to know about, bring it into the light. The final word is a word of hope. It doesn't talk about moths, but it talks about locusts, which also can devour things. God can restore moth-eaten years. You might hold up your life and look at it and say, I see the devastation that moths have brought about in my life. Is it too late for me? Hear the words of Joel 2.25. The Lord says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Now, I, I trust that while you are alive, it's not too late for you to repent. Not too late for you to hold up your moth-eaten life and say, Lord, this life is such a mess. I just need you to give me a new heart and give me a new start. And here today and now, I repent of my sin and I receive you as my great Lord and Savior. Get the moths out of my life. Help me to turn away from every known sin and to submit today wholeheartedly to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have gone a, a little longer than I usually go, and so rather than singing a hymn in conclusion, let me dismiss us with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven,